Welcome to the Emotionally Healthy Leadership Podcast. Great to be with you today. Uh, today is really a part two uh, of the leader spouse with Jerry Scazzaro, my lovely wife, who, as I said in the first uh, podcast, she, to me, has modeled uh, over three decades the kind of qualities and integrity of a leader spouse that really could be such a gift to so many of you around the world on how do I function with a leader, whether it's a corporation, a nonprofit, a church, how do I function as a spouse of a high-powered leader or a leader in general with all the stuff coming at me? So we're going to pick up from our last conversation on a term Jerry used, Jerry, you used, called um, secondhand smoke. Uh, why don't you tell us where that term came from and, and how a leader spouse gets the secondhand smoke? Yeah, it's one of my favorite images for being the spouse of a pastor. Uh, I, I had a neighbor growing up who's, who uh, developed emphysema. And uh, which is a lung disease from smoke. The thing is, though, she never smoked. But there were other smokers in the house. So she developed emphysema from secondhand smoke. And I said, man, that is such a powerful image for what it feels like to be the spouse of a pastor. As most people know, uh, pastors have one of the most hazardous professions known in terms of mental health, physical health, emotional health, et cetera. Um, and by nature of being married to a pastor, uh, the spouse then, ha it's a hazardous profession as well because they're uh, internalizing a lot of the pressure that comes at the spouse directly, their pastor, husband or wife, but they're also getting a lot of pressure and invisible stuff coming at them like, for example, people's expectations, et cetera, et cetera. And so just really, really important to be aware of the secondhand smoke that you are getting via your spouse or via people's expectations, as one example. In, my, in our case, Pete is a very big external processor. And so I'd get a lot of secondhand smoke because he just processed everything kind of that was happening at church out loud. But over the years, we actually learned how to create boundaries mm -hmm. uh, around that because I did not need to hear everything that was happening. Yeah. Um, and he didn't need to say everything that was happening. And that helped a lot in terms of secondhand smoke. Yeah. But I also had to learn how to grow in my own uh, boundaries, uh, learn how to clarify expectations with people, Etc. Etc. Yeah. So, uh, Jerry, think, let's think of an example, and we can talk to the viewers on this directly. Mm -hmm. um, if, like, I would come to you with a with a conflict with somebody, maybe someone criticized me, who I'll leave unnamed, and I'm really angry with them. I tell you, then you're angry at them. You're feeling it, but then I go and I would resolve with that person. We clear it up. Right. And so him and I are good. Right. How? What would you tell viewers? What do you do in that case? because uh, that's very common, it happens. Mm. You're still angry because right. you were not involved. Yeah. What would you say to them about that? What do they do? You know, I think, again, it's the balance of, one, the pastor themselves does not have to tell the spouse everything. They need to learn, uh, you know, what's appropriate or even what the spouse can take or not take. Uh, and then secondly, though, I, I, I need to do my own work, my own internal work of of making space for, for example, for Pete to share things with me 
And it's an opportunity for me not to be easily offended, for me to check my heart and what's going on inside of it towards people as he shares. So, you know, there it's 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 yeah. it's a two side it's a two-sided thing. And I did learn at watching you get hurt, because once I would tell you about someone in the church or something yeah. bothering me, and the same thing goes for a nonprofit or a business, basically you're involved. And I had to learn to not bring things to you because otherwise I recognize you had a relationship with that person that had to get get resolved. And it's just complicated things. Right. And one principle certainly is to never demonize people. Yeah. I mean, that's really just a, a, a mature leadership thing is that when we're, we do have difficulty with people that we don't demonize them. <laughs> uh, one of the most popular segments of the Emotionally Healthy Woman uh, book that you've mm. written and curriculum is quit overfunctioning. Quit mm. doing for people what they can and should do for themselves. Yes, yes. How does a leader spouse talk to a leader spouse who very often ends up overfunctioning? Uh, how do they get out of it? How do they know if they are overfunctioning? Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, I, and overfunctioning happens in I find most women's lives in particular because we're just kind of the caregivers of we've been the care kind of givers of the culture, and but. In leadership, anybody is vulnerable to overfunctioning. And so it's so huge. So let me define overfunctioning. Overfunctioning is doing for others what they can and should do for themselves. I'm gonna say that again. Overfunctioning is doing for others what they can and should do for themselves. And I, I haven't met really a, a leader or a leader spouse who hasn't been overfunctioning and has to really grow in that area. So it really applies to all of us. Um, but it's huge because at the root of overfunctioning is not helpfulness. Uh, the problem in the church is that overfunctioning is disguised as caring. And you even get rewarded for it. But you end up burning out or resenting the people you're overfunctioning for or preventing their growth, et cetera, et cetera. So quitting overfunctioning is huge in terms of spiritual growth and maturity. Um, because at the root of overfunctioning is fear, whether it's fear of losing control or fear of what others think of me, um, fear that God's not going to come through for me. So um, it's also key because one of the reasons your spouse may be overfunctioning in the church is because you're overfunctioning for them at home. So Pete could do the work of three to four people at church, and I'd be mad at him for doing the work of three to four people at church. But at the same time, I was totally enabling that because I was over-functioning for him. I was doing things that God called both of us to do at home. For example, parenting. And so really, the, the onus lays on the person who's over-functioning to quit the over-functioning. An under-functioner is not going to change. The under-functioning pastor at home is not going to change. The person who's over-functioning at home has got to change. So I needed to quit over-functioning in areas at home or in parenting in order for Pete to quit over-functioning at church. Huge, difficult, but life-changing. One of the reasons you, in, in, in the book, Emotionally Healthy Woman, you say to stop, quit over-functioning is because it perpetuates immaturity. How does over-functioning, an over-functioning spouse perpetuate immaturity in their spouse, in the church, in the organization, and other people? Well, I'm going to flip that 
and ask you, how did, how, did, how did I perpetuate or keep you, prevent you from growing up in certain areas or maturing in certain areas by doing too much for you? Can you think this of This interview, I can think of many things. <laughs> uh, I would say that I was very angry at you. At every time in our marriage, in our, in our relationship, that you quit over functioning, I was angry at you because I liked you over-functioning. Mm. And I was over-functioning myself in many areas. So it was hard, and it did force me to grow up. Uh, it forced me to grow up in so many ways. I uh, used to carry the anger uh, for our family. Once you stopped being angry and said I quit, all of a sudden I was angry at people because I realized I would just let you carry that. Right. Um, I'm thinking the area, too, of parenting. Pa- I, oh, yeah. You know, I was, you sort of saw me as the primary parent, yeah. and you were like the co the assistant parent, or the, but in reality, um, yeah. our kids, our daughters needed you and your gifts and your personality as much as me, and uh, you grew into being an amazing parent and father as I stepped aside yes. and quit over-functioning in that whole area. Yeah, her over-functioning hurt me. I was take parenting. I found out and realized there was a whole part of me as a parent that I loved and then I was sad I had worked so much uh, because I was simply doing the traditional gender roles that I was handed down from my parents, uh, as well as what I'd seen in other pastors and leaders. Uh, and so I grew up so much. And I remember saying to myself, I wish she was out there working and I was home with the kids because uh, I found out I was a lot more, I was easygoing. And I was bringing pieces to bear that mm-hmm. were wonderful. Yes. And I realized it changed that our life. It really at did. church, I was over-functioning. For, uh, people weren't doing their jobs, and I would do their job for them. Right. And I was hurting them. So that was very revolutionary for me, and uh, making sure I wasn't doing for others what they could and should do for themselves, that I'm not doing them any favors. And it really impacted our whole discipleship model at New Life, where I said, I'm not entertaining people at New Life. I'm going to equip people, all of them to stand their own two feet as followers of Jesus. Okay. Right. Honey, just final words that you want to yes. give them about uh, just... Your last chapter in yes. Most of the Church Woman is quit living somebody else's life. Right. I think it's one, of the, right. it's one of the capstones. What's a final word you can say to your audience here of yeah. what it means to quit living someone else's life and live their own? Yeah, You know, if you're married to a leader, uh, you may be a leader in your own right, and you're married to a leader. Uh, in my case, Pete is a very strong visionary, and it was so easy for me to get lost and caught up in his visions. Uh, and then I realized... Along the way, I began living his life and his visions and not my own life. And so, and if you're over-functioning, you don't even have time to live your own life. One of the questions I ask women many times is, if you quit over-functioning, what are you going to do with all that extra time? And so one of the things I got to do with the time I now had, because I wasn't over-functioning for Pete anymore, was uh, thinking about my own life and what God was calling me to, et cetera. So, and you know, that's a, that's a very prayerful, reflective thing, especially when you're married, because there's two of you, and yet God has called us to similar things and to different things, but that takes time and energy, reflection, maturity. But uh, in the end, God is not gonna ask you if you lived your spouse's life, he's gonna ask, were you faithful to your one true, unrepeatable life? And we need you to live your life, not someone else's. Amazing. Yes, I am married to that woman. She is something else. So as we close here, let me invite you, uh, all you ladies, 
uh, listening. Uh, Jerry's book, The Emotional Healthy Woman, is a workbook and a DVD that goes with it. It's an outstanding curriculum. Uh, it's such a great book. It's so yes. popular that at some point we're going to publish it as The Emotionally Healthy Man with the exact same content, just male illustrations, because the content we require our leaders to all read this book uh, and go through the curriculum because it's universal discipleship. So thank you, Jerry, for being with us. And I want to invite you to go to www.emotionallyhealthy.org for more information uh, on emotionally healthy leadership. It's been great to be with you. Thank you very much. <laughs>